Blog Talk Radio. Conversation. I'm Don Henderson. We've got a great group of people that are going to join us this evening with some really interesting topics to talk about. Roy Cummings, as always, is in Tampa, Florida. He covers the Bucks, the Lightning, the Rays, and what else is happening in that general area. 
Billy Wardell is going to join us in Philadelphia talking about the Philadelphia Eagles, what happened last week. But more importantly, what's going to happen this week with the Dallas Cowboys on the docket. And we'll talk about some other things as well. Mike Schulte will be joining us as we talk with him week in and week out about the ReliaQuest Bowl. Uh, that's going to be at Raymond James Stadium. LSU, he's got two great teams, LSU and Wisconsin. They'll go at it at noontime on ESPN2 on New Year's Day. So let's kick things off, unless Frank has a dedication. And I don't know whether he does or not. Frank, a dedication tonight or not? Uh, we're uh, going to skip the dedication tonight. Okay, nope. Let's go right to Roy Cummings then. And, uh, Roy, uh, the Bucks came in with a win. They're, they're, they're hanging on the fringe of trying to get back into the playoffs. And, uh, it's always interesting to see what's going to happen with that team because it, when you think they have a chance, they drop a couple of games. When you think they don't have a chance, they pull a couple of games out. So, first of all, let's talk about the National Football League. Let's talk about the Buccaneers. Yeah, you're right. Uh, they they are a team that is uh, kind of hard to to gauge. Um, you know, they they started off doing exactly what they needed to do all year, obviously, which was you know win games against teams that you're better than and that you should win. And they did a good job of that early on. But uh, since then, uh, they've done a better job of losing the games they should be winning instead of winning them. Um, it's hard to know. I mean, here they go against Atlanta. I don't think anybody's all that surprised that uh, Tampa Bay and Atlanta are, you know, kind of in a fight for the division title here. And that, uh, you know, you might be surprised that Atlanta's at the top. Uh, A lot of people might have thought the Saints would have been there. But really, I mean, you could have picked any one of those three teams and and pretty much the season has gone the way everybody thought it would. Um, None of those teams are good. They're all mediocre at best. And, um, you know, I thought all along that, you know, the Bucks were the best of the, of the bunch just based on talent alone. But um, it, it hasn't worked out that way. I mean, they've just had a, they've had a hard time here, uh, you know, winning games when they need to win them, and, um, and, and it's cost them in a lot of ways. I mean, they, could, they could easily be, you know, well ahead in this division race, uh, but they're not, and they, they don't have to win this weekend to, to stay in it. But uh, if they lose, they're, they're, they're up against it, that's for sure. They might have to win out after this weekend if they don't win this weekend. Baker Mayfield was supposed to make a, uh, when he came in late during training camp, uh, to make a significant change. You were very optimistic about what he's been able to do. And uh, he is a positive force thus far. Yeah, I, not, nothing that the Bucks have done this year, uh, good or bad. Well, put, let's, I'm sorry, let's put it this way. Baker Mayfield has done exactly what people, what everybody hoped he could do, maybe more. Uh, I, I think there was a lot of people, there were a lot of people out there who thought that Baker Mayfield was a bust and that this was never going to, uh, he was never going to work out with Tampa Bay, that he was headed out of the league. And, um, you know, but that, I, I didn't think that. I thought for sure that uh, the Baker Mayfield would rebound this year uh, with the Buccaneers, uh, in part just based on the fact that, you know, the, the level of talent that they have around him. I, I think that makes a big difference. Um, you know, I think I thought Dave Canales' uh, offensive scheme would work well for him uh, as long as they could execute it, uh, which they've had trouble doing. But that that hasn't kept Baker Mayfield from being Baker Mayfield, and I think he's proved that he's uh, he's deserving of a, of a starter's job in this league. Whether that's going forward with the Buccaneers or somebody else, I don't know. But I think he's proved that um, you know he he's a guy who can help you win. There's no doubt about that. 
if he had a defense that could uh, stop teams a little bit better, uh, he'd probably be uh, he'd probably have a few more wins this year. A um, couple of receivers who would catch the ball for him a little bit, running game that worked a little bit better. Uh, once again, you know, he, he'd probably have a couple more wins under his belt. But uh, that's the way the Buccaneers are. They've struggled to run the ball. They've struggled to stop, you know, opponents at times this year. I think their defense has really been exposed. And you know, when they when you're missing co- a couple of the the top linebackers uh, in the league, not just on on your team, but you know, Devin White. Uh, Legarrette Blunt, oh, Legarrette Blunt, Levante David. Uh, these guys are, you know, they're they're among the best in the league, not just the best of the Buccaneers. So, you move, you lose guys like that, you're going to struggle, and that's uh, kind of what we've seen happen here. But Baker, Baker Baker Mayfield has certainly done what he was, what everybody hoped they would do, hoped he would do with the Buccaneers, and that's keep them in keep them in games, give them a chance to win. Roger Hemmer has been skipping around the country. He's in Atlanta. He's in Philadelphia. He's back in Atlanta. He's outside Atlanta. He's teaching school again. Roger, I tell you, you got the, the moving vans going back and forth. Uh, nice of you to spend some money on your moving for privileges. Hey, hey, listen, it's a very expensive mistake, okay? I can tell you that. But, you know, you're the man, at the gold, the man that's got the gold, not me. So maybe you can take care of the expense. Hey, listen, Roy, um, I, you wanted to talk about the Bucks, And uh, who is the main culprit about the lackluster performance, about the personnel? Uh, is it? I know it, it's not the coach. I mean, you can criticize the coach for uh, moves, you know, within games and things like that. But do you see that there could be uh, major changes in the front office after this year and maybe the coaching staff? Well, I don't see the front office changing. I don't think that's the issue. I, I think the Bucks have done a really good job under Jason Light of uh, produce, you know, putting together a championship-caliber football team. I, I think they've done a great job of that. I don't think they missed anywhere in the draft, really, for the most part. I mean, obviously, they missed a kicker a few years, a few years ago, maybe a couple times, but – for the most part, they've hit on the drafts. I mean, they've done a good job there. Don't forget, you know, this is the same group that drafted Mike Evans. Yes, they drafted Jameis Winston, but they drafted him him over Marcus Mariota, and it appears that neither one of those guys would have worked out. This is the group that, you know, brought in Tom Brady, brought in, uh, 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 you know, all the guys that won them the championship, Rob. brought in Shaq Barrett, Rob Gronkowski. Uh, you know, they, they drafted, uh, as I said, they drafted Mike Evans. They drafted Antoine Winfield. They've done a good job of drafting. I think they've done a great job in, in, in free agency of uh, bringing people here and uh, making themselves a better football team, uh, filling in the gaps where they haven't uh, hit it on the draft. But uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, I think it does come down to coaching, and I think it does come down to to, to, to Todd Bowles. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk in Tampa about, you know, has he been tough enough on these guys? Has he, you know, has he held enough guys accountable, properly held them accountable? Uh, for mistakes that are made. It's hard to keep guys accountable when you don't have a lot of depth. And right now, you know, in a couple of spots, they don't have a lot of depth. They don't really have a lot of depth up front defensively and uh, the front seven. And they don't really have a lot of depth up front on the defensive, on the offensive line. That's injuries. That's injury related more than anything. And, uh, you know, some surprise uh, retirements there. And uh, so, you know, uh, I, I think, I think the front office is solid. But I don't know that the coaching staff is solid. I'll tell I'll tell you this. If they miss the playoffs, I think there'll be a change in the head coach. 
Um, if they if they make the playoffs, I think Todd Bowles probably keeps his job for another year. Um, but if they miss um, and, and you know can't get to eight and nine to get there, uh, I think I think that's when you probably look at it and say, okay, there's probably a change coming. Because let's face it, uh, you know Todd Bowles is a glorified defensive coordinator, and right now the defense has not been the strength that the Bucks thought it could be. Um, they can get after the quarterback, but, you know, they get after the quarterback because they blitz more than anybody else. They've got good blitz players. Um, they've built the team that, you know, that he needs to do that. Um, but, you know, I think this idea that the Bucks were a really good or, or a really stout defensive uh, run-stopping run, run team was really kind of just skewed a little bit by the fact that most teams had to pass against them uh, when Tom Brady was here. And that's because you see it now, and, there's a lot of holes in that defense, uh, and part of it starts up front where they're young, um, you know. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, a lot of that is also the fact that uh, you know it's scheme, and if you can't tighten up those holes uh, schematically, because again, I think for the most part the talent is there, that's going to fall on the coaching staff. And it's, uh, I think at the end of the day, again, if they don't make the playoffs, uh, I think Todd Bowles is probably out. If uh, if they do, he's probably in. Roger, we talked all uh, during the off season and in the exhibition season and in the regular season. You had high hopes for Atlanta. You thought they had a chance in a mediocre division uh, to really stand out, and it hasn't happened that way. They started poorly. They're playing a little bit better now at 500 and in first place, but it's not what you would call a dominant football team. Well, no, they're not. And I watched the game uh, on Sunday, uh, you know, first time I had the opportunity to watch it from start to finish. And, uh, yeah, you know, talking about the uh, coaches, I mean, Arthur Smith is in his third year. And, uh, you know, they have not really uh, pro- progressed. Uh, and you look at, you know, Roy, you hit the nail on the head about the mediocre uh, NFL, NFC South. I mean, here, uh, Frank Reich gets fired uh, before the end of the season last week, and that's his first year. Uh, the, the Saints have had changes. Uh, the, um, uh, uh, obviously, you know, the Bucks have, have had a change a couple of years ago, and then you've got Arthur Smith. And I, the, uh, I just I, – I think the same thing as you, but in the case of the Falcons – I think that Arthur Smith's team has got to make the playoffs, or there could be issues there. And what I go back to, when I lived here for a long period of time, and this is a coach that you and I both have high regard for, Mike Smith. And uh, I also, uh, when Dan Quinn was here, you know, and and Don knows how I feel I am not uh, a – a Shanahan fan, uh, uh, you know, he lost that Super Bowl, in my opinion, okay, as the offensive coordinator. But forgetting that, the they have not, since Thomas Dimitrov left, they have not done it nearly as well as they did uh, back prior to that. And I think it's very interesting. And also, their record in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium is nowhere near as good as it was in the Georgia Dome. So, you know, I, I just think it's very interesting, those, uh, those facts about how it's affected the Falcons over a number of years now. Well, I think, really? you know, that, that you, you made a really good point there, uh, Roger. Uh, you know, it's not just Dimitrov that's gone. It's not just Mike Smith who's gone. 
you know, Rich McKay is not in the same position that he was in. And, and those three guys together, um, they were the guys who built the teams that, that, that the Falcons, you know, made the Falcons uh, viable, that made them so tough to play uh, back in the old Georgia Dome. So, you know, they – I would say that management has not, you know, not done a very good job since – um, uh, of keeping that team sound. And, uh, look, I, I like the quarterback that they've got here. I like Pitts. I think they've drafted fairly well. Uh, it's, but it's hard not to when you're picking where they are. So right. you know, th- maybe they should be actually drafting a little bit better uh, in some of the middle and late rounds. So I think you'd have to look at that. And, and that's one where Orlando uh, Ledbetter could, could give us an idea of, you know, just how successful they've been in the later rounds of the draft. I don't think they've been very successful there. And, you know, I think there's probably a, a good chunk of people um, that, uh, that look back at that, uh, at the decision to get Mike, let Mike Smith go and say, you know what, for all that we gained in the short term on that, maybe long term, it wasn't the best move. Um, because mm. again, uh, you had, you had some, you had some power brokers there with, you know, Kyle Shanahan and, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, it, it, you didn't get it done, and no. you got to the Super Bowl, but you, you you haven't been the same since. That's for sure. And I just think maybe they were a little bit too quick to let some people go there. One player right. that you glossed over a little bit, uh, number thirteen for the Bucks, uh, a significant record this year for Evans, and uh, uh, maybe a touch on the draft and the fact that. Other than injuries, he's had a series of injuries over the years, but always comes back and plays. But 10 years at the numbers that he's put on the board, there's only one other player that did it, and that's in 11 years. Yeah, that's in 11 years, and that guy's in the Hall of Fame, uh, Jerry Rice. So, you know, it's uh, Mike Evans uh, has, has just he's, – he's proven to be a Hall of Fame caliber player. I've thought for at least the, at least the first eight years of his career, um, certainly until Tom Brady got here, that he was – the best unknown receiver in the league. I thought he was the most underrated receiver in the league. I still think he's underrated. Um, he really got some notoriety finally when Tom Brady showed up because people realized how good he is. But, you know, the thing you got to remember about Mike Evans is he's had 10 straight 1,000-yard seasons. And, look, 1,000 yards receiving nowadays maybe not what it used to be, just like 1,000 yards rushing is not what it used to be. But it's still a, 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 mar, a, a monumental – uh, not, not 10 in a row, Roy. <laughs> right, 10 in a row. Yeah, exactly. And that's it. Here's my point. He got four of those with Jameis Winston as his quarterback. And, you know, so that's a big part of it, too. And, you know, it just goes to show you that this is a guy who can make everybody around him better. And uh, he can do it with any quarterback. And, he, uh, and he's done it again now with Baker Mayfield, who – I think every quarterback that's played with Mike Evans will tell you that he's as good a receiver as they've ever had anywhere. He does the dirty work. Um, he's a great team guy, great guy in the locker room, uh, probably should be a captain. And, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. He, he'll get there one day, uh, and he's earned it. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the Bucks are in a tough spot financially, but um, I think if they want to be viable over the next course of the next two, three years, they're going to keep Mike Evans around because I don't think he's done. I think Mike Evans realizes what, you know, what he's got in front of him here, which is uh, if he can, you know, if he can get 11 or 12 straight 1,000-yard seasons, he's a shoe in for the Hall of Fame. And I think he's, I think he's come to realize that, you know, 
at first he was just happy to be playing football in the National Football League. Former basketball player who kind of gave it a shot at football, and it all worked out for him. And, and uh, lo and behold, he, uh, he becomes one of the best players to ever play the game. And I think he realizes that now, and um, he's found a home here in Tampa, and I think he wants to continue going as long as he can now. I think he realizes that um, part of being a great player is uh, longevity, and if he can keep going, he's going to keep doing it. Well, Roger, you're there in Atlanta now. Uh, they started off ice cold. The, the Bucks started off winning the first two games of the season. And even though we talked about it being a mediocre division all the way down the line, and now you're there firsthand, you're going to have a chance to see the rest of the season for the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, uh, do you feel now that they've got the momentum on their, on their side, that they're going to make a run and, and, take, the, and take the south? I think it, you take it a game at a time. I mean, yeah, because you don't see consistency in you know either of the top three teams. But yeah, I want to, Don. I may have talked to you about this the other day. We were talking about the Sean Watson's retirement, and there was uh, uh, t- uh, the uh, on uh, Sirius uh, NFL Radio, Bob Papa and Charlie Weiss are on in the morning, uh, ten to twelve, and uh, Papa had an unbelievable statistic that you rarely think about because of uh, Deshaun Watson's retirement. And that is the, uh, one, uh, can, the number of yards that they pick up, the, the total number of yards per reception in his career. I believe what he is is 19th in the history of the NFL. And they, uh, the statistics uh, that he related were really interesting. And the one that uh, was a name that I remember from the past, and I know that uh, that Don uh, remembers this guy. I don't know, Roy, you may be too young. The number one guy, he's like, a, I think it's between 22 and 23 yards, whereas uh, Watson was like, at the, I think, 18 point something, was Homer Jones from the Giants. From the Giants. Yeah, wasn't that back in the uh, early 60s? Yeah, Homer Jones Homer was like Jones. Julio when you had him down there in Atlanta. He was he was the dominant receiver. Well, he's the guy that is the all-time leader uh in uh, yards per per, ca- per catch in the in the history of the NFL. I mean, some of the other receivers, Jerry Rice, you know, some of the Hall of Famers. I don't even know if Homer Jones is in the Hall of Fame, to be honest with you, because, you know, Bob Papa does the Giants radio broadcast, so obviously he was interested in that. But Charlie Weiss had no idea. I mean, I could tell you, I never even thought about that statistic until he brought it up. But I found very interesting that uh, Deshaun is uh, 19th in the history of the NFL. So as we jump out of the uh, into the college side for a minute, uh the Heisman Trophy is coming up Friday. Three quarterbacks, one uh, one receiver. Uh, maybe some thoughts uh, on both sides. Do you think quarterbacks are <laughs> dominant? It seems like every time there's an award, quarterbacks always dominate the the, the landscape. And of course, it's again this time. Uh, we got we got Nicks, we got uh, Daniels, we've got uh, uh, who else do we have on there? Uh, well, I'll get yeah, it but how, how about how about the Bengals' backup the other night, Don? Uh, wh- what a job he did uh, uh, in uh, place of uh, Burrow. I One mean, of the great that, performances that, coming out. He he was he. You're right, Roger. No question about it. He put on quite a show. And boy, oh boy, what was he? 
35 or 37 or 37 or 39, something like that. And uh, yeah. he, he, he came in and just took over the game. I don't really what do you think about that, it, Roy? Him, Roy? You know, that's like an unknown guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As are most uh, backup quarterbacks, they're unknown. But uh, He wasn't even drafted, I don't think. No, I don't think he was. Uh, but, you know, and, and you know, the, the, more, the more amazing thing, and I, I don't really understand this, um, you know, when you got 45 or, you know, 50 players out there, including practice squad guys nowadays, um, you know, maybe 60 players, h- how is it the backup quarterbacks don't get the reps? And, and this is why we marvel at their every time they come together, they come in into a game and somehow and manage to, you know, if they manage to just not screw it up and lose it, uh, we marvel at that fact. And when they have a game like uh, the Bengals quarterback did the other night, you know, we're just, we're just astonished. We're like, how in the world could this happen? You know, look at this great uh, performance he had. Well, you saw when, one, you you know, saw one happen with, with a quarterback that never played before too, right there in, in Tampa, Florida. Last minute touchdown with no time, almost no time left to beat, yeah. you know, to beat the Bucks. Yeah. And he, uh, it was his second game, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. But you know, here's the thing: is that sometimes you just, I just, every time it happens, I always wonder myself. It's like, okay, look, you've got a week to prepare for this game. How can the backup quarterback not end up with enough snaps to be better prepared for these situations? Especially when you look at the NFL right now, and you look at all the quarterbacks that are getting hurt. I mean, what? There's a good, you know, what? Six, eight guys out well, there. Who are, yeah, six starting quarterbacks are out for the year, Roy. Yeah, out for the year, and I don't think you know it's when they go down is when he's okay. Well, let's let's start giving the backup some reps. I mean, you know, there there has to be a way to figure out how to run a practice where the second quarterback gets some reps with his team with the best players so that you're better prepared for situations like this. Again, it, it worked out. It works out because these guys are, are ridiculously talented. And there's a reason they're on the roster to begin, to begin with. But, you know, maybe and maybe it's just us. Maybe it's the media. Maybe it's the fans who don't believe in these, these guys enough, and, and the teams do. But, uh, again, you know, we marvel at it all the time. Every time a backup quarterback, come, quarterback comes in and does, a, you know, just a, an acceptable job. You know, we, well, you got start, three quarterbacks you know, right now that are playing outstanding football. In fact, really four because the Giants have a guy that came out of uh, Don Bosco High School. And, <laughs> and, uh, he's going to be the starter. He's going to be the starter again this week. And so they got, there's yeah. four guys that either were drafted last or weren't drafted at all. And uh, so we go back to the Heisman, as I was saying a moment ago. Where maybe we're going to be fortunate enough and. Uh, Rely, of course, full to see uh, the Heisman Trophy winner because uh, Daniels at uh, LSU uh, is one of the favors to uh, to uh, uh, you know to get that Heisman Trophy. So maybe you guys have a different idea of a player that would get it rather than the, the three we, we mentioned. I voted well, for, I him for the Dan- Maxwell Award. Daniel the Maxwell Club. I did. I voted for him for yeah, the okay. Maxwell. Yeah. Well, I, I think Daniels is the best quarterback in college football. Uh, whether that makes him the Heisman Trophy winner or not, we'll see. But uh, to me, that's the guy that everybody would be would be looking at coming in, uh, going into the draft next year. If you're looking for a quarterback, I just think he's got, you know, a, a blend of skills that is uh, not unique anymore. But I think he's got the best blend of those skills that are that everybody really seems to be looking for right now. 
Um, the ability to move around, just a smart player, obviously a great arm. I mean, I just think, I think Daniels is really, uh, he's, he's the top, he's top shelf for me. Well, I think also, that, as I say, three quarterbacks have one wide receiver and one we're familiar with in Philadelphia because his dad played at St. Joe's and uh, was a, an all-time receiver in the National Football League. And he's coming out of Ohio State and he looks like he's going to be a, a chip off the old block, Roger. Well, I'll tell you what, you look at the uh, some of the top players in the NFL now coming out of St. Joe's Prep and, you know, and winding up going, you know, to colleges around the country, uh, you know, and especially, uh, you know, him. I mean, you know, he he's like an unbelievable player, as was his father. And, uh, well, you know, he'll probably be uh, going very high in the uh, in the draft. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's good to see that. I mean, you know, it's, St. Joe's prep is definitely a draw. Uh, I see, you know, kids that went to other schools and then they transfer. And, and the, one that, the, the one I remember uh, initially, uh, th- and this goes back a number of years, was mo- when Morning Mo- uh, Marty Morningway was uh, with Andy Reid at the Eagles, uh, the, his son uh, went to uh, the prep. And then he went to uh, Florida, I believe, but he only stayed a year. And then he went to Columbia, and he played at Columbia. And I'm, he's long, you know, out of uh, football now. But I, it's just amazing how when you start tracking, uh, you know, young players, quarterbacks that uh, went to uh, St. Joe's Prep, and then they wind up, uh, you know, in college. And uh, in that case, I just thought it was really interesting. He went from an SEC school to the Ivy League real quick. <laughs> well, Mike Schulte may have a, a Heisman Trophy winner on his hands when they play LSU and Wisconsin play at 12 noon on ESPN2 on uh, New Year's Day. And uh, Mike, of course, will join us a little bit later on in the program. But, boy, what a nice perk that would be for, you know, bringing in uh, – a player that's going to be a Heisman Trophy winner. Also, the fact that you have a coach that's so well-known both at Notre Dame and, and at LSU. Uh, he's got some, some marvelous uh, headlines, not only coaches, but players, Roy. Yeah, well, I'll leave you with this, guys. Uh, let's hope that uh, if, in fact, uh, that Heisman Trophy winner is coming to Tampa and playing on New Year's Day, let's hope he plays <laughs> uh, for the sake of the people who are putting that bowl game together because – that's that's another issue that we'll have to discuss here uh, in, in the coming weeks. Is how many of yeah, the uh, college players? Out, so, uh, yeah, Florida yeah, that's, State that's, just lost a, that's become a, trend a big too, time so, player. He's um, going to go to the National Football League, and we told we'll talk about that. I was going to talk about that tonight because yeah, you're a Floridian, and uh, Roger and I are more East Coasters. But uh, the selection committee, what you thought about Florida State with a perfect record not getting in, and uh, well, but. You know, here's the thing, guys, I, 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 and it, to me, I, I just don't understand it. Um, look, I think the Florida State defense alone is worthy of being in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the national championship fight, in, in the playoff. Uh, they earned it. They won. That's the idea. It's, who's, who, how do you figure out who the best team is? Well, why do we keep records? If it's all just a, a subjective, you know, who looks the prettiest or – who's the most exciting or who's got the best players or, you know, wh- who's got the star players that everybody wants to see. Well, then why do we keep records? 
you keep this, records for a reason. To, you're, you're trying to get the four best teams to go. And if you saw their game against Louisville, uh, you, you really couldn't take them. I mean, they, they have no quarterback. Yes, you can. Yes, you can take them. You can take them because their defense is as good as any other defense in, in college football. They well, won the they, game. They, you can take them because they, they look, won they the game. Very, they, they looked very good against Louisville the other night, I'll tell well, you Well, Dallas, Alabama didn't look very good against Texas, did they? That, that's Actually, right. Alabama yeah. didn't look very good against USF. But they were yeah. healthy. Well, we got we got to leave it right Alabama, there. Billy Wardell's all ready to go. Alabama could have lost could have lost the Georgia game very easily too if there weren't two fumbles. Well, next week we'll we'll argue the final four and go from there. We'll start the program. <laughs> have a about great the final week, four. Roy. Works for me, guys. Thanks. All right, take care, partner. All right, my good buddy Billy Wardell is on the line to talk of Philadelphia. If you want to talk sports in Philadelphia, there's only one guy you want to listen to, and that's Billy Wardell. And, of course, Billy uh, was in the booth, as he has been for so many games with Merrill Reese, uh, when the uh, Philadelphia Eagles uh, went up against, up against uh, the San Francisco 49ers. And, uh, Billy, but before we talk about that, when I joined you the other day uh, on your show in Philadelphia, uh, you brought up something that I want to touch on right off the top of the show. And that is that uh, Absolutely. If, if, if baseball has made mistakes, if baseball has black marks against them, if baseball didn't have a black player until Jackie Robinson got in, baseball made a bigger black mark this last week than it's made since Jackie Robinson, in my money. Phil White, not only one of the great people, one of the great baseball players, one of the great executives, one of the great uh, uh, broadcasters, president of the American League, in the commissioner's office until they wouldn't get another when Bart Giamatti died and they didn't come up with another uh, commissioner. Uh, you know, Bill decided to step back and retire from all baseball operations. But, Bill, you know him as I do. Were you shocked? A little shocked, Don, because if you look at the body of work, if you just said, this man was a difference maker. He's a very good baseball player. Did he have Hall of Fame numbers? No but he was a very good player, all right? Then we go to his contributions as a player, involved with the Players Association back when Marvin Miller came on board, and, of course, was very instrumental in the integration of baseball in spring training with the black players. Remember, for years, the black players had to stay in a separate hotel, uh, private houses. They couldn't stay at the same hotel in Florida with their teammates. Mr. Bush was the first one. He bought a hotel and put everybody in together. Right. But that that was the big, big problem. And Bill stood up. And he got a letter from, from Jackie Robinson that said, Bill, it took a lot of guts for you to stand up during a very tumultuous time in our country. And Bill stood up. And then Henry Aaron, the legendary home run hitter, said when Bill Bill White was elected, the National League president, next to Jackie Robinson, that was the biggest move for the African-American community when baseball recognized Bill White. And at that time, he was the highest-ranking African-American to hold a position of that stature. And, it's, and he moved I'll from the field it, of the Philadelphia, to the Philadelphia Philly radio booth. Then he moved with 
the New York Yankee radio booth. I have to give uh, Mr. Steinbrenner all the credit in the world. He hooked him up with Frank Messer and Phil Rizzuto, and he was there for over 20-some years with the New York Yankees. He was the first in every one of those categories, and to miss being in the Hall of Fame at his age right now by one vote is an absolute positive disgrace, disgrace of what the, the, the people on the committee Don. should be taking right out. I'm going to tell you why it's a disgrace. There's one guy that wants to block Dick Allen and Bill White, and that is Jerry Reinsdorf. He makes sure that he has people on that committee that are in his back pocket, like a Bud Seeley, and there's other individuals on that committee that had votes. And Jerry Reinsdorf is the guy that orchestrates all this. I mean, Dick Allen missed by one vote twice. Don't you smell a rat somewhere? Bill yeah. White misses by two votes. I smell a rat, don't you? Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Bill's credentials are unparalleled. There's no way you can make any kind of comparison between Bill White, his baseball career, his executive career, his broadcasting career. No way there's anybody else in baseball that has those kind of credentials and he doesn't get in. I mean, it's unbelievable. But that's I just wanted to start big. off with that. We... Uh, we're going to talk, obviously, about what happened last week with, with the 49ers and, more importantly, what's going to happen this week as the, the Eagles travel to take on the, uh, what, what many people are saying Dallas, is going to be Dallas. the MVP quarterback in the, the league. The Cowgirls. Yeah. The Cowgirls. Well, you sound like a fan now, Roger. I don't like fandom. You know that? we got to be straight down the middle. Hey, listen, I'm a uh, fan no of, of Jolly and the Loon, okay? Don never gives you any credit about that show on BCP. Jolly well, and the I Loon. I appreciate it, Roger. I am not a pom-pom waver. You know that, Roger. I know that. I know you well. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, analyze this game, you analyze you this learn, game for us this weekend because we were all wrong last week. <laughs> what, what's ahead, that, Don? I say analyze this week's game because we were all wrong last week. You and I chatted a few times, and we all thought it was going to be a close game, but a tough game. It turned out to be a bad game. <laughs> it certainly did. Well, Don, I'll tell you this. After the first two drives, when they drove down and they only got field goals, I said this is going to be a long day. Because the Eagles' yeah. defense held the 49ers to minus six yards total offense in that first quarter. And then they, the wheels came off. They exploited the lack of good linebacking play from the Eagles. They exploited the Eagles secondary. And the Eagles secondary is a little long in the tooth, especially in the corners with Bradbury and Slay. I mean, they brought Kevin Bayard in from the Titans. He's 30 years old. There's a lot of question marks about this football team, not being able to get to the quarterback on a consistent basis. It looks like a tired football team to me right now heading to Dallas. And as Roger said earlier, Dak Prescott's in the conversation for MVP along with Tyreek Hill and, and others. But those two guys right now are the head of the class. No question about that. And, and as I said, uh, the most surprising thing is, uh, you know, we, we saw that they, they held the ball for almost 12 minutes of that first quarter. They went down the field like until they got to the 20-yard line like it was, uh, you know, cheese. They just went right down to completion, completion, run, run, run. They did everything right until they got to the 20-yard line, and they couldn't get the ball in on both on both well, drives. Don, and the they, held, 
And it helps you, them. You've got to uh, put uh, touchdowns. I'm sorry. Right. You've got to right. put touchdowns on the board when you're playing you a talented it. team like the 49ers. When you and have them the 49ers, the road, to four and out, four and out, both time, both first two series. Right. And uh, you know, again, they they have to look at themselves this week. You know, this is not a must game. This is a very important game because if they lose, now they have three losses. They'll be tied with the 49ers as far as losses are concerned. And you don't want to lose that home field advantage. And you got the Cowboys and you have the Lions breathing down your neck as well. So this is a very pivotal game for the Eagles if they have any designs on securing that number one playoff spot in the National Football League, NFC. Roger. Hey, Bill, I, I heard this uh, many times, obviously, uh, you know, living up in Philadelphia for a while. The, uh, there doesn't seem to be in the, the uh, current team the uh, spirit that you and I, Don, Frank, all knew uh, uh, for, with the Cowboys going back to the very beginning when they came into the uh, league, and especially, uh, you know, when Buddy Ryan was there. I mean, I it, it was fantastic, you know, the the spirit against the Cowboys. Do you sense that the way it is with the current team that uh, things well, are just it, not the same? It's a different culture entirely, Roger. Right today, yeah, it I is. Mean, it's different. Yeah, I agree. You know, it, I mean, again, when Buddy Ryan was coaching, the players weren't making the amount of money they were making today, and he he made a, a point: the Cowboys are the team you got to beat in your division. And he pounded that in their heads over and over again. And you go back to Dick Vermeil. Dick Vermeil, the one thing he always assessed his team when he looked at the team, we've got to be on a par with the Dallas Cowboys. And that was mm-hmm. his objective. We have to be on a, a par with the Cowboys. Remember, for years, the Cowboys just beat up on the Eagles after they oh, yeah. lost that first game in 1960, 30-28. In the Cotton Bowl, uh, the Cowboys, after that, the Cowboys really started to have the Eagles number, especially in the mid-60s, 70s, 80s. I mean, they had the Eagles number. But I I think it's a different animal today because the players are a lot different because the amount of money they make. And they're buddy buddies. with Everybody has to agree with that. I mean, the, the money is – and, and look what you and I talked uh, last week as well on your show about what's happening on the baseball front. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Tondi, I, I give him all the credit in the world. He's a great player. He's a great pitcher. He's a, a, obviously an MVP player. But uh, you look at his record in, in, with, the Los, with the Los Angeles Angels and, you know, Six out of the eight years, he, he did, the team didn't even have a winning record. Now, you're going to go out and you're going to pay this guy $600 million to come into your club. Unless you have all the other ingredients, how in the world could you justify? And now they're saying Toronto, they're saying Chicago, and he's like in a, a, a secret service. I mean, you can't even – they, they don't even know what he's thinking, half of them. Well, Don, you, you make a very good point. Six hundred million dollars. What would Babe Ruth be making today? Mickey oh, Mantle, oh, Willie wow. Mays, people like that. They would be part owners of every club. Again, you know, when you look at players, and, and that's the problem today. Unless you're winning championships, fans are not going to come out. 
if you're a pedestrian team like the Angels over the last number of years, people aren't going to be going through the turnstiles. People aren't going to be spending money for their uh, Comcast or whatever they have out in California. Uh, that, that is going to be impactful going forward because people don't realize, and I think you and uh, Roger realize this, a number of the cable operations are going belly up because they have Alley, these exorbitant, yeah. exorbitant rights fees for the NBA, sure. the NHL, and Major League Baseball. And how can they continue to sustain themselves when the court is being cut by millions every year? Roger, now, that's a great point, Phil. Absolutely. Uh, because, uh, you know, Bally's is, uh, I mean, big across the country in different markets. And what? They're in bankruptcy. And uh, belly up right you, now. Yep. Yeah, you just don't know. Uh, you know, you got to when you think about it. Philadelphia is uh, and the, the markets that have Comcast Sports or NF, NBC Sports, um, Sportsnet. They're very fortunate because you know that they're not going to be uh, going belly up. And but some of these others, uh, like uh, you know, I think Pittsburgh, uh, they had I forget what they had. I think it started with an R. And they were in a couple of markets. And, now, uh, Washington, you know, you, Baltimore. Yeah, well, that, that was one. But then, then you see the sport, the NBC Sportsnet stayed in D.C. I mean, in, the, in that market. It was the other one. Masson was the one we talked about with uh, Doug that was the, uh, was the problem. But, uh, you know, unless you have the high-powered comp- uh, big companies behind you, uh, these uh, lesser uh, solvent comp- uh, companies are not going to make it. I mean, not with what they're paying. And you're right in these right rights fees. Billy, you've been uh, covering you've been covering the National Football League from the radio booth, the television booth in San Diego, in Philadelphia for so many years. Let me go back to Roger's question, which was a good one. Uh, you know, we can look at uh, Detroit, for instance, this year because. They finally have gotten themselves into a winning product. But as you go around broadcasting the games over all these years, uh, the enthusiasm, you can look at New York, you can look at uh, Chicago, uh, all the Bears are struggling right now. But there's a, there's a different feeling uh, watching the National Football League in those cities. Uh, and, and as Roger just said, uh, even the Dallas Cowboys coming in now, not quite the the, the enthusiasm that there used to be when Dick Vermeil was coaching or, or whatever. Don, that's a very good point, and I'm going to bring up that's very good. The Southeast. If the Atlanta Falcons aren't contending for a playoff spot, nobody cares down there. They worry about college football. In Tampa mm-hmm. Bay, if they're not contending, they worry about Florida, Florida State, Miami football. In New Orleans, it's LSU, not the New Orleans Saints, even though they won a Super Bowl. I mean, it's a different attitude. I mean, you, you go around the country, and you see certain pockets, like you mentioned, the great Northeast, Midwest with Chicago, even L.A. They're not the passionate fans that we have on the East Coast, all right? But oh, they've lost, How many times have they winning? lost the franchises because nobody comes? Right. You know, you, 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 look, you look at the Oakland A's, right? They're moving to Las Vegas. But, I mean, you just have to say to yourself, when is the Golden Goose going to stop producing all this money? And eventually it will come in. 
You know, we had the housing market in 2008 crashing and burning. I just don't know how you can continue to pay these type of money to the players. I mean, and I don't want to begrudge any player from making – I don't want to see owners and like Jerry Reinsdorf. He strips his team down. He'll get the same amount of money for Major League Baseball. And that's the other big problem. So certain owners will line their pockets. Other owners like Cohen and John Middleton and the people in Los Angeles. I don't want to. I don't want to hear this stuff. We're a small market team. We can't compete. That's so much bull. It's unbelievable. They don't want to compete. They want to line their pockets with as much money as they can get. The one thing that bothers me in, in markets like Pittsburgh, Chicago, places like that, where they don't care about the fans. They 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 just they just want to put their money in their pocket and walk away with millions and billions of dollars. Billy, how many years is this for you? In the business? 58. Yeah. 58 years. Wow. Well, yeah, you know, I'm Bill, old, you're Don. exactly right. Hey, listen, we're old. We're all old. But we're still <laughs> kicking. I, Don't Bill, I want to John just... Henderson. Come on. He's like Methuselah. <laughs> Methuselah. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, just, well, I, so I brought this up with Roy Cummings, and you're exactly right, uh, you know, about Atlanta. But I will say this, that uh, when I was covering and doing a uh, twice-weekly uh, show uh, in uh, local radio on the Falcons, and I was at every game at the Georgia Dome, there was a different spirit there. And if you look at Matt Ryan's numbers, he was very successful in the Dome, not successful in Mercedes-Benz Stadium because it's so big and, and you know, and it, it's so different than it is when you had that enclosed building. But I will also say I was living here when that surprise announcement came out that the Braves were moving out of um, Turner Field, and they moved out to Smyrna. But if you, I don't know if you've ever been to Truist Park. Uh, I haven't been inside, but I've been there many times, you know, in that area. They call it the battery. Bill, they've also done it on a more a, a, a lesser scale at the AAA affiliate they have in, Gwinnett, have in Gwinnett County. And I'll tell you what, I think that's smart where you are developing an area. Now, from what I understand and you probably know more than I do, Aren't, isn't there a big pl- a plan to develop the area around uh, the uh, Wachovia Center and the stadium, the whole stadium complex with more well, They're uh, talking hotels. about it because the Sixers are thinking about moving downtown. And that's right. meeting a lot of opposition from the, uh, the Asian community. They don't want the stadium in their backyard. And I don't blame them. And, no, I don't you know, Again. Here's the other problem we're going to face. All these Billy, don't you think now, that's ridiculous, moving downtown? Yes, well, I do. Parking, I agree with you, Don. I agree with you wholeheartedly. But the, these guys, Josh Harris, think it's a, a great plan. And I'll tell you another thing that really bothers me. Why do billionaires have to have subsidies from the state and local government and, and with money? If you're a billionaire... Wrigley built their own baseball stadium way back when. Chai built Connie Mack Stadium. The Yankees were built uh, when uh, they were owned 
I, I can't remember the ownership group. Rupert. But Rupert they, owned them. Rupert owned the team. Jacob Rupert owned the team. They didn't ask for money from the city. Now, how do you do that, or the state? How do you do that when you're billionaires? Not millionaires, billionaires. I don't understand this, and they acquiesce every time. We're afraid they're going to move. Yeah. How many places? Well, look what they're doing in Washington right now, Billy. I mean, you know, they bought the team for all that six billion dollars, and now they want money to move, build a new stadium, and they they want all, but they don't want to put their money into it. They want somebody else to do it. The city, the state, the federal government. They want anybody to do it. It's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Barry shouldn't be funding billionaires. Come on. Let's be realistic about this. Oh, I agree. I'm with you. You know, we all feel that way. It's a disgrace. And look at again Ed Snyder. He built the Wachovia Center. What was it? Wells Fargo. Or Wells Fargo it was the Wachovia Center, wasn't when when it opened. And and that that was all the, uh, his financing. You know, in the organization. Well, he got he well, got it for a dollar because it was there was a Spectrum member and the roof blew off, and. Uh, right. Nobody wanted to pick up the tab, and he said, "Okay, I'll I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a dollar for a lease for it, and then I'll run every all the events that go on in there." And <laughs> he made a whole no, run. No, I mean when he built a new one. I mean when he built a new one, Don, not the Spectrum. Oh, oh okay. When he built the Wachovia Center. Well, he had a lot of money from, like Don said, when he had all those events at the Spectrum. Remember sure. That every night there was an event in the Spectrum. WWF, uh, uh, the the circus. They had so many events. At, at that venue, he made a lot of money from those events. Absolutely, and and the flyers were were, were big, and of course every one of the major stars, uh, you know, all performed at the Spectrum. Uh, but Billy, let's get back to the game because the big game this week, for as you mentioned at the top of the show, as we talked about Bill White, uh, this this game coming up this weekend, maybe not as you said, maybe not the most important game, but it's close to it. Uh, because they don't want to, they don't want to lose home field advantage. They've already lost to the Forty ers So if it's a tie, Forty ers are going to get the home field advantage. So uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But uh, your observation about this game: Can they beat the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas this weekend? Very, very tough nut time. Very tough. They're going to have to establish their running attack, control the line of scrimmage, work extremely hard on the defensive end. Dak Prescott's playing at a, a Pro Bowl or MVP level right now, and they've got to slow down that machine. I mean, they have C.D. Lamb, Tony Pollard, uh, Ferguson, the big tight end. They've got a lot of weapons on that team, and they have Micah Parsons on defense. In coming upon the Eagles to decide that they're going to control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, and they're going to have to put heat on Dak Prescott. You're going to have to be in his face. And maybe not getting sacked, but at least he hitting him a few times. But they're going to have to play almost the perfect game to win this game in Dallas. Dallas almost won the game in Philadelphia. A couple of plays went against Dallas. The one, uh, the guy at the one-yard line at the tight end, who had, his knee was down. I mean, they're, they're going to have to play a almost a perfect game to beat Dallas because the Cowboys are – relentless when they play at home. There's something about playing in Jerry Stadium that really revs this team up. So the Eagles are going to have to have a near-perfect game, and they cannot have lapses 
in the secondary and the linebacking core. They can't afford to let guys run free through the secondary because, look, their third down efficiency on defense is worse than the NFL, and they've given the most touchdowns up in the red zone in the NFL, and they're mm. still in first place. So that is, that's the number you've got to watch out for. Well, we'll close it right out here, uh, Roger. Last question for Billy. Uh, uh, I'll just say one thing. Picking a winner, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna pick uh, against the Eagles or with the Eagles? I'm not a pom-pom waiver. I'm a realist, all right? <laughs> pom-pom waivers are for the cheerleaders. Cowboys <laughs> win 27-20. Roger? 20. What was that 27-20. 27-20, okay. Now, Bill, before you go, I wanted to ask you, uh, what is your uh, what, Roger, opinion? Roger, what are you going to pick? Uh, I'm picking pick? the Cowboys, too. I'm, I'll pick the Cowboys, like, uh, 30 to what about uh, you, Donnie? 21. Donnie? Don, who are you picking? <laughs> I, I like is the Cowboys to win it by three. Program? Cowboys by two? three. Okay. Right. Bill, I want to ask Roger, you before you go. Yeah, I wanted to ask you your opinion. Just so you guys go know, ahead. this house and right, hold, hold it right there, there fellas, because we got to go to Mike Schulte. He's got our team. He's no, got no, Wisconsin Frank, all ready Frank to go. LSU something. all ready to go. And, uh, the the Reliacus no, New Year's Day, 2 o'clock something. on ESPN, and we're going to talk to Mike about that. <laughs> Billy, thank you very, very much, as always. Give, give us your closing line on your show. You can listen on WCAT 95.3 on the FM dial. WCHE 1520 on the AM dial, 953WCHE.com, streaming worldwide. And you always can follow me on Twitter, the Werndell, W-E-R-N-D-L. Good luck, guys. There you go. Good night. Always a pleasure, Have a great partner. day, Bill. Take care. All right, Mike Schultz, you got two great teams. You might also, we talked about this with Roy Cummings in the first 15 minutes, half hour, you also may have the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, coming into play in your game in, uh, in, in your stadium, and it should be uh, a heck of a, a, a plus for your uh, big-time players when you talk about the Heisman Trophy winner coming in to Raymond James Stadium on New Year's Day 1. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, we've got uh, we got two really good teams and, and some exceptional athletes uh, in this matchup. Uh, and, and, of course, I know you're alluding to uh, Jaden Daniels, who – uh, and I can't imagine how he doesn't win the Heisman on Saturday because, uh, man, you know, what, what kind of the, – the numbers that he's put up this year, um, and not just from the standpoint of throwing the ball, but, but you know, running the ball as well. I mean, uh, these – you know, he has had just an unbelievable year uh, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, been, been a lot of fun to, to watch uh, just, you know, from a spectator uh, perspective. Uh, I mean – you know, when you have a quarterback uh, like like him, who is who is, uh, is you know done the damage through the air that he has, um, and then he turns around and rushes for 1,100 yards. There's a whole lot of featured backs that would be happy to have 1,100 yards rushing, and he's got that plus about almost 4,000 yards passing. No question about well, it. He's, he's certainly the ring leader going in, and. Uh, It'll be interesting to see. They, they love quarterbacks, so it's probably going to be a quarterback one way or the other. Three quarterbacks and a wide receiver, the uh, four um, most prevalent uh, selections. But I, I think you're right. I think he's going to get it. I think you're going to have him in your game. 
and uh, this should be a tremendous boost. Whenever you have a headliner like that with uh, those kinds of credentials, it's got to be a great game because they're two really, really good teams. Well, that's the thing. I mean, they are good teams. They've, they've got a lot of great athletes and, and uh, you know, two, you know, uh, really good coaches and very highly respected. So it's, it, you know, these are these are big programs that are uh, um, used to getting after it. And, you know, we've had both both these teams here uh, in the past, but, ne- you know, neither one for quite a while. I mean, I think it's been nine or ten years since we've had either one in our game. But I will say that uh, every time these teams have played in our game, they have showed up. Uh, very, very well, and played very hard, and uh, had some really good success. So, uh, I think this is going to be a, a, ter- a tremendous showdown, and uh, we can't wait to to see it on New Year's Day. Uh, but of course, before that, we got a lot of events and activities that are going to be, uh, you know, participating in. But uh, uh, it is definitely is going to uh, start off the, the new year, I think, with a bang. Roger. Mike, how, how does this match up? I mean, you mentioned that they've been in the bowl in the, in the past, but were they ever in it against each other? And uh, if they were, because I, I don't know, that's why I'm asking, how do you look at this matchup for, from uh, this year for these teams as a match versus what you've had recently? Is this one of, your, of the top matches? Well, I, it, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, every every year is a little bit different. Um, I, I think uh, I think this is uh, certainly. A, a, I mean, just the the teams involved here. I think we, we've had, as you know, a lot of really great matchups uh, in our game over the years. But you know, this is certainly uh, one of the ones that, that you know uh, really gets your attention. I think you know when you when you see these teams and and what they've done. You know, Wisconsin struggled a little bit uh, this year during a, a stretch. You know, their uh, their quarterback was out injured for three games, and that that hurt them a little bit for a couple games. And so they don't have the record that that you would have wanted probably. But um, but you know, barring that injury, I, you know, they would have had probably a much better record. And and that still doesn't take away from the from what uh, Coach Fickle is doing up there to to really bring that that program back into prominence. So. I think they're on a good track. They probably feel that way. You know, LSU, you know, they, I mean, they, they, you know, they had some really tough uh, games this year. I mean, when you play in the SEC, it's always tough. When you play in the SEC West division, it's even tougher. Um, And on top of that, they played Florida state to open the year. So on the road uh, or well, neutral site, but not at home. So don't forget you got another headliner coming in because, Kelly, who was at Notre Dame for such a long period of time, successfully coaching there, and then making that transition to the SEC. We talked about it at the time that it happened, but that's also another yeah. headliner that's going to be in your ballpark. Your, in your ballpark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but my point is that LSU, you know, uh, that you know the the, the teams that uh, they had to, to face this year and in uh, the play and, and like you said, having a uh, scheduling a, a, an out of conference game against uh, FSU, who was really on the rise. Uh, you know, at a neutral site to begin the year. Um, you know, they're uh, once again. I mean, that they've uh, they're they're a really good team. Uh, they they lead the country in offense and, uh, and a slew, whole slew of other categories. And so it, it could be a very uh, exciting game to see on, on New Year's Day. Roger. Well, I think it'll be an outstanding uh, game uh, from because of uh, just what you alluded to, uh, Mike. 
Um, I did want to say um, I am a member of the Maxwell Club, and I voted for the uh, LSU quarterback uh, for that award. He may win the Heisman, too, but he probably is going to win the Maxwell. Uh, but uh, it it just it's a, it, it really will be a great matchup. My my uh, uh, what I was wondering is this is definitely going to be a sellout, right? So people get your tickets now. Um, yeah, I mean Mike? it's going to. I, I think it's been a very popular game so far, um, and uh, it's it's uh, like you said, it's it's definitely one that people are going to want to see. Um, and you know these these teams don't play each other very often. You know, I mean any Big Ten SEC team, it's pretty rare for them to play other than in a bowl game. These teams have only squared off, I, I think, maybe three times in their entire history, uh, and we're talking over 125, 130 years of football. So, you know, so these are the kind of matchups you know that you get in in the, you know the higher level bowl games like ours that you don't really get to see on a regular basis. You know. The Wisconsin fans don't get to play LSU, the LSU's of the world, uh, you know, a lot, and and uh, the you know the LSU's of the world don't play a lot of Big Ten teams typically. So, you know, th- this is a lot. There's a lot of writing on this from the standpoint of bragging rights with the conferences and and all that. And and again, it's a it's a rare kind of matchup. So it's definitely one you're going to want to see. And and uh, uh, the fans of, um, from both sides of the, you know, the spectrum have really responded well to the game, and I think we're going to have a good crowd. I think we're going to have an even better game. Mike, we'll talk, we'll, we'll talk about the club seating. Let me, let me turn this off. The, uh, we'll talk about the club seating. We'll talk about tickets and uh, so forth because I'll tell you, it, it, it's, uh, and I have to apologize for my own self. I'm a little under the weather, so this will be the first time I'm not going to be able to make the game. I told Frank today that, uh, just uh, not going to be able to make the game, and, and uh, I'm really sorry about that because I think it's going to be a terrific, terrific game. But you have so many events, and people around the country who are not familiar with uh, the location of Raymond James Stadium, uh, not that familiar with, uh, you know, Tampa, Florida. Uh, you have them involved in so many different things, and the kids, it's a, it's a vacation, but at the same time, it's a great football opportunity. Yeah, it it really is. You know, that's the thing about bowl games. You know, um, that sets itself apart uh, from from some of these other type of tournaments you see or or the playoff itself. Um, you know, obviously that there's a purpose for the playoff and all that, of course. But you know, the teams go to the playoffs. They don't don't really get to enjoy the experience uh, of going to those games. Um, outside of obviously, I mean, I know it's it, it means a lot to win those games, but. You know, a bowl game is a combination of things. It's a it's a reward for for the students and and, the, and really their their coaching staffs, the fans, the bands, yeah. the cheerleaders, the support the support groups. I mean, it, it's a it's a great experience for them to be a part of and something that they'll always remember. And so, you know, when when these teams and and their uh, constituents come down to to the Tampa Bay area, which is one of the best most popular destinations in the in the country. Um, you know they they're going to have some great experiences here. They're going to do a lot of the events that we have here with the going out to Clearwater Beach for the Beach Day event and the cheerleaders and band performing on the beach and the um, you know going to Bush Gardens one day and going to Splitsville and Sparkman Wharf and 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 you know the New Year's Eve parade for the fans and cheerleaders and bands and um, you know just 
a lot of neat experiences that they're going to, you know, take part in while they're here. Uh, and of course, they're you know they also mean business. I mean, they're also here to win a game, and they they show up ready to play on game day. But you can also have some enjoyment as well, and and you know build an experience like I said that you'll always remember. Um, you know, there's guys you you talk to any any professional football player who uh, and probably probably all of them played in a bowl game at some point, or most of them did, and they can go back and tell you all about their bowl trips and the experiences they had with their you know, with their brothers playing, playing, uh, you know, uh, their teammates playing, uh, you know, the football game and the experiences they had on their bowl trips and those types of things, you know, they, they mean something. They really do. And, and, you know, a lot of times people, it sort of gets lost in the, you know, who wins the national championship and who does this and all that. But at the end of the day, the bowl games have, have been here for over a hundred years, uh, the oldest ones. And they're, they're there to do a lot of good things or, you know, there to do good things for the community. They're there you know, to, to provide tremendous experiences uh, for the players and, and, the, and the, the entertainers that, that come around uh, with, you know, from the school and all the, the personnel from the school and the fans um, and so forth. And, and, you know, obviously uh, there to, you know, to uh, provide a reward for the, the players uh, that are there. And of course the team that wins the game, um, you know, gets to end the season on a win, which most, which no teams in a playoff ever get. There's only one team in any playoff that ever gets to finish the season with a win. Uh, with the bowl games, you got a lot of a lot of winners. So it's really a, it's something that I think is really important for the sport of college football. It's unique to the, the sport of college football, and uh, it's something that we we take very serious in in regards to uh, the work that we do to to make the experience um, one that that people will always remember. Roger? Mike, I'll tell you, it's ironic you said that because I was with a, a very good friend. We've had him on the show, and he played at uh, Missouri. And uh, he and I were over at one of the uh, high schools last night watching the region championships in flag, uh, girl flag football. And uh, mm-hmm. the next step, the winner, um, I, I had to leave at the beginning of the fourth quarter uh, the team was this uh, uh, other team. I think it was Sequoia. They were up twelve nothing. But I got to tell you, the winner goes to the uh, uh, Mercedes Benz Stadium to play in the championships. So uh-huh. you know, it was really great to spend like three hours watching three games of flag football and seeing the way it's all orchestrated. And <clears throat> there was a young lady last night, Mike. You would have just loved. Uh, quarterback, you would have loved her performance. She had an arm I could not believe and just put that ball into the receiver's hand like it was an NFL quarterback. It was unbelievable. <laughs> well, you know what? You know what's funny? You said that I, I, one of my daughters um, uh, who played a number of sports, she played competitive soccer for many, many years, and she ended up playing uh, uh, four years of varsity uh, basketball in high school. Um, just a great athlete all the way around. And I remember one time we were at the beach one time and, and she had never really thrown a football before. And she picked up a football and was throwing it with my brother-in-law and she started whipping that thing. And I mean, <laughs> tight spirals, like you've never seen before. And yeah. they're all looking at yeah. each other like, where the heck did that come from? It's like, <laughs> you bet there's not football for girls. It's like she'd be, a, she'd be a quarterback. And, uh, so she ended up playing uh, flag football in, uh, uh, at, at uh, Florida State, she goes up there 
so she ended up uh, playing intramural flag flag football, um, you know. Uh, but you know, yeah, I mean, I wish she would have had some of those experiences earlier on. But it's great to see uh, that uh, that that flag football in particular uh, for for girls has has uh, really taken off, especially I think in in Georgia more than a lot of other places. And uh, it's just great to to see uh, you know them have even more opportunities to go out and enjoy the sport. Well, it just came in on the national news this week. Uh, in fact, actually this morning, I believe, was the, was the date. More tickets are being sold now on women's sports than ever before in the history of, of, of sport. And you can see it. I mean, you watch. Oh, oh yeah. You, you know, you turn the TV on, you see how many people watching these basketball games and watching soccer games and watching volleyball games and watching, I mean, girls are, are as you say, flag football. But you mentioned Florida State and your daughter, uh, we talked to Roy Cummings a little bit the first half hour of the show, but it's just at the end. Uh, your thought on, uh, you're one of the directors for uh, the sure. Realicus Bowl. So when I when I say that, uh, how, about a, how, how about, you know, Florida State not getting in, uh, even though they were 13-0? Yeah. Uh, some yeah. of your well, thoughts on Well, they had on, a tough decision. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to speak on be, uh, to that topic on behalf of the Reliant West Bowl because that's, that's really not a, not something that you know that, that we should be involved in in that decision making. That's not our, that's not our. Oh no, area. no, no! I didn't mean it. I didn't. Not mean your bailiwick. Just the personal, yeah. just my personal view is I, I, I was a bit surprised. I thought that, uh, that uh, you know they should have uh, had uh, the three undefeated teams um, in the uh, in the the playoff, and then the fourth spot. Uh, decided, you know, then make that decision between those uh, teams that have one loss and determine who you think is the best one loss team. Right. I, I think it's hard to penalize uh, a team like that. But, you know, it, no matter what decision they were going to make, someone was going to be really upset. Um, you know, so, and, and I could see how, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of schools of thought out there that they said, well, they couldn't, you know, people are saying, well, they couldn't put Alabama in. They, they they felt like an SEC team should be in, and the one SEC team you got to put in if you're going to do it is would be uh, Alabama. But then you can't put them in if you don't put Texas in because Texas beat them. So the, the, you know it, it's just a really tough tough uh, situation, and it's a unique situation. I mean, this is the first time in the ten years of the fourteen playoff that there's ever been anything any real issue in regards to who got in and who didn't right i mean right because right. i i would i would get I, I i firmly believe that in the 10 years of the 14 playoff the best team in the country was in the playoff every single year if not the best two or the best three if, you know so so i i think it's worked very very well for the last 10 years i think this year uh was was unique in regards to um, you know the the number of of teams that were in the parity at the top, and and that really is a, this is going to take a lot longer than we have, but that sort of goes back to where what we've talked about all year long, with the parity in college football is is really increasing, and a big right. part of that is because of the portal, um, and and yeah. kids being able to move around. I mean, you look at right now in the in the portal. Since it is, since it opened up in uh, probably Monday, I think, or three days ago, I can't believe the number of quarterbacks and start. I'm talking about starting quarterbacks, not kids that aren't are sitting on the bench trying to find a place to play. But I'm talking about starting quarterbacks, much less any other position, who are in the portal. They're just they're it's it's like you're shuffling the, shuffling the deck of year. 
But my point in that is that the parity, it just shows the parity uh, towards the top in, in college football is stronger today than it has been probably for a very long time. And so that's now what, you know, what's producing things like this, where now suddenly you have five or six teams that legit legitimately, you know, should be in that top four if you're going to have a 14 playoff or whatever it is. And right. So, um, you know, I, I think that's really contributed to this because, like I said, we haven't had this problem um, I, I, that, that I can ever remember. I remember I remember when we had the BCS, which was just the ch- national championship game. That was it. They picked two teams, and they played in the championship game. Um, I remember that there would be maybe a third team, you know, that was, you know, felt like they were shunned or like a third undefeated team, and you could only put two in or something like that. But I've never, never remember a year where you had literally three undefeated teams and probably three other one-loss teams that were probably just as good as the undefeated teams and could have all, you know, had a case for getting in. So I think this will obviously uh, work itself out next year when they go to a 12-team playoff. Right. Um, and so maybe from that perspective, it's good that, uh, you know, that they're expanding out because the parity in football now is, uh, I think, not, you know, not like it, it has been, you know, for a very long time, if ever. Well, my point you know, was really, and I don't know whether Roger, we didn't really get a chance to talk about it very much because we were at the end of our time period. But uh, my my point with with Roy was that uh, if I'm on the committee, uh, and and uh, I want to I want to get the four best teams to play against each other, uh, be, for because it's a it's it's the, it's the focal point of of football. It's the top four, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, Florida State. Uh, because of injuries, uh, were really handicapped playing against Louisville. And Louisville was only a, well, they, I think they were seated yeah. 18th, uh, 17th or 18th. And they, they just couldn't move the ball at all because of the well, fact their okay. offense is 10th. I'm going to stop you right there, though. I'm going to stop you right there, and I will say this on defense of the F, FSU. That quarterback that played that game is not going to play in the playoffs or a bowl game or anything else. That was their third-string quarterback. He was only in there because the second-string quarterback was was in a concussion protocol. The quarterback that they will have going forward in the play in the in the uh, postseason is their number two quarterback, who has a lot of experience, who has played who played multiple games at the end of the season, including winning on the road at Florida. So so you can't look at the team that was on the field from an offensive standpoint against Louisville because that's not the same team. That we're talking about will be in in the uh, in the bowl games or, or right. would have been in the playoffs. That's a that's a that's a great point, Mike. And you know, what I was going to say I mean, is not, that, I haven't heard a lot of people mention that is, is why I bring that up because they're all saying, well, you know, look how bad they looked and all this kind of stuff. Well, they, yeah, they they did look really bad. They're, that kid that was in there was a poor freshman quarterback who's never played a down yet, and and was thrown into a really bad situation. Okay. And uh and so but but the quarterback that they that they have their backup quarterback is actually a very good quarterback and I think would do very well. Um he's not he's not uh, uh, uh Jordan Dan um 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 <laughs> the popular name uh, Jaden Daniels. Oh my Mike I just thought that was a determining also, factor. I, I just think a, they looked at that game against yeah. Louisville and uh yeah. you know they said now wait a minute. You know is this team as it's constituted right now. Now you know much more about it than I do because I don't know their backup quarterback and and what 
you know, where they well, where saw, they stand. If you saw their quarterback play the two games he played before that game, then and, and like I said, then you'd have a different feeling, I think. Mm. No, for sure. So, but anyway, well, you don't need you don't need any situation. luck with your game because I'll tell you something. You you got <laughs> you you got prime time when you talk about prime time. You got prime time coaches. You got prime time players. And I think you're going to have the Heisman Trophy winner with it as well. And I'll tell you, well, next week we'll talk about the, more about tickets and where people can get a hold of you and get a hold of tickets and get a hold of the club seats and all the rest of it. But thank you very, very much as hey, always. Mike, I just want to – let me say one thing, Don. Uh, um, Mike, I got to tell you, Kirby Smart t- took the high road. You know, they were asking him, well, what, what about you? You're the uh, returning national champion. He said, we had our opportunity, and we did not win. That end of discussion. That's taking the yep. high road. Yeah, it is. He's, yeah, and he's, he's good that way, and that's, and that's smart for him to do that. And, you know, that, that's, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's all you can do. It's all you can Like you said, he, he, they, had their cha- they, had three play, they had three plays in that game that, that would have completely turned that game uh, uh, around. Uh, Score-wise, and they uh, they just you know they didn't perform on those three plays. Any one right. of those plays would have been different. The game would have the outcome would have been would, different. They would have won. But they had yeah, three, absolutely. Those, any any one of those three uh, plays were, went a different way. They they would have won. But that, that's how it is. That's how football is. And and you know, once you again, gotta, Mike, we'll kick it around. We'll roll over ball. the tickets and all the availability for have your Have a great game. week, Mike. <laughs> have a great week, and I tell you, you got to be really happy. I bet your committee. is a, Walking on thin air right now. They got to think they're in great shape. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. It's going to be a, a fun time. Thanks, guys, Take for care. having me on. Appreciate Take it. Take care, Mike. <laughs> Take always, care. always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Mike Simzak is ready right now, and uh, Mike, we got a lot of things to talk about. Maybe you'd have it before we do that. Maybe you would have an opinion. I don't know whether you watched the Louisville game against Florida State. Uh, I, I did, and. Uh, uh, as I said on the first hour, first uh, half hour of the show with Roy, and then again Don, here. I, I, I think you got to drop it because Mike just made the point, and he was sending you a message about the Louisville game. Okay, Frank, isn't that exactly what Mike was doing? Yeah, that's exactly what he was getting a little uh, upset about. He was uh, getting a little perturbed with you, my brother. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to get perturbed because I thought they made the right decision. I'm not going to change my mind. And I know he's on yeah. the committees and he's do, he's doing all the work for the Bulls, and I give him all the credit. But I, I think the committee did a great job, and I think they got the four best teams. Okay, let's go to Mike Simzak right now. We're going to be talking about this up until the final four get going. And, uh, Mike, do you have any comments on uh, what happened football-wise or what's happening because you've got a, a quarterback that's in the MVP chase right now? with a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, a couple of other players for MVP this year. What do you think about uh, the quarterback situation for Baltimore? Um, Lamar has been – Lamar is playing just about as well as he did when he won uh, the MVP. They are, um, on basis of tiebreakers, um, sitting in the number one spot, in the AFC right now, uh, it's going to be a challenge for the uh, Ravens to continue to make that run. Um, we might have liked to have seen them add some defensive help. Maybe I've said for a while 
it might have been great to see them get a running back. You know, I know that Gus Edwards has done an absolutely phenomenal job, uh, but getting uh, another running back in there might have helped. But this is a team that's just, despite injuries and all of that, they're really, really playing strong on both sides of the ball. And I'll be real honest, I would not want to have to come to Baltimore in the playoffs and go into M&T Bank in that atmosphere and have to try to win. I think that if the game is in Baltimore, um, they're going to have an advantage. That home field advantage is going to be serious. We talked about, you know, can they compete with uh, the, the, the Kansas City Chiefs? And I would say right now, yeah, you know, the Chiefs haven't looked as dominant as they have in past years. Um, the Ravens are playing great. We're seeing Lamar do it both with his legs and his arms at an MVP dynamic level. Think about it this way. They brought in Odell Beckham Jr. to be, you know, kind of the icing on the cake, to be that guy, that toy that Lamar had. And to be honest, he's been a little bit anonymous this season. It's been all about um, the connection in between Lamar Jackson and Zay Flowers, the rookie, who has looked absolutely all of the first-round talent that they and lived up to all the hype, and then some. Roger? Roger? Well, I guess we lost Roger momentarily, but... Uh... Okay. No, I, I was just say I was just going to say, Don, that uh, I was um, um, with you, Mike. I saw that game, and I'm really impressed with uh, J- uh, you know with with Jackson, and uh, or I'm sorry with Jamal, and and uh, I I agree with you 100. percent And I think anybody that's going to play the Ravens the rest of the season is in for a lot of trouble. It, it, it's you got to remember, this is a team that is built primarily on their defense. Look at the teams that they have played in the NFC when they've had the Seahawks and the Lions, both of whom came in, both of whom everybody said might give them a little trouble. Of course, the Seahawks have tailed off a little bit, but the Lions still are. And they absolutely housed both of them. Uh, I mean, if you're going in the M&T Bank, you're going to get a, a, a lot. It's going to start with the defense. Um, they're getting after the ball. Patrick Queen is finally having a season, albeit in the contract year, of course, but he's finally playing like the linebacker that they thought they got when they drafted him. Um, and this has all been with a secondary that's been a little bit banged up. So, you know, if they get some guys healthy, they could get even better. Well, I, I, how do you how do you rank the the how do you rank the the, the West right now? Do you think that uh, the Ravens are at the top of the heap, or do you think that uh, some of it's what, uh, another? Because it's, it's pretty mixed up. I mean, it's, the ASC is pretty mixed up. It's not like the NFC where you got, you know, goal. You got the, uh, you know, the 49ers. You got the Eagles. You got Dallas. You got, you know, a lot of top teams. You don't necessarily have that on the other side. You know, based on record and how they performed this year. The Ravens, I, I would say, are the best team right now. But okay. we're still in the regular season, right? We all know what the Chiefs can do 
when it comes playoff time, when people have to go into Arrowhead and play. You know, they have looked a little bit off. You know, we, we're, we're talking about a loss in Green Bay and a loss in Philadelphia, right? Or a loss at home to Philadelphia. Those are two, so they're, they're a little bit back. I think that gets a little bit um, confusing, if you will. You know, the, we thought that the Buffalo Bills were going to be that team. Um, they've been a little bit inconsistent. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've been a little more than a little bit inconsistent. <laughs> they've been a lot inconsistent. Inconsistent. You know, we know we Bengals would be challenging all the way, but without Joe Burrow, what are they really? Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars have been looking great, but now you've got Trevor Lawrence with the high ankle sprain, and uh, they just took a loss on Monday. Uh, there are a lot of good teams um, that, are, that are going to push the Ravens, but I would have to say as we sit in week, what, going into week 13, um, right. week 14 of the NFL season, I would have to say that the Ravens look like the best team right now in the AFC. Of course, we all know like when the playoffs come, that could change and I hate to say it, you know, like a lot of other teams, they are one um Lamar Jackson sprained ankle away from, you know, from fading very very quickly, let's say. Roger? Yeah, hey Mike, you know, uh, you just brought up uh, about the Burrow but we were talking about this earlier. Look at the job that that young man did. I, I think uh, he came out of Washington. I think, Don, you said that uh, he wasn't even drafted by the Bengals. And uh, it just goes to show you what when you have a really good backup quarterback, just like a, a, a guy with the Colts, uh, you know, was doing a good job. What is it? Gardner uh, Webb, right? Yeah, Gardner Mitchell. Yeah, and uh, and so if you have a good backup quarterback, and that's been the topic, uh, Bob Papa and, and um, uh, Lake, uh, uh, I think it's name's Lakers, that's on with Charlie Weiss on uh, Sirius NFL Radio, and they, that's what they've been talking about. Uh, you've got to start really being uh, or concentrating on getting a good backup quarterback. And not just uh, you know somebody that you think you can throw in there for a couple of plays because there's six starters that are going for the season. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think the backup quarterback role is an always an important one because how hard is it to be able to be game ready to go in at a moment's notice when you don't get the majority of the reps in during the during the week. I mean, you know, most coaches will tell you it's like 80-20 the amount of reps that your starter gets versus your backup. So these are guys who are basically learning by watching. But I also think a lot of it has to do with really good coaches. When you look at the, the backup quarterbacks, like um, the guy in, in um, um, Cincinnati, like Gardner Minshew, even um, Tommy DeVito up in New York has had a few games where he's been right. good. I think it comes down to these guys being able to look right. to say, okay, I'm going to figure out what this guy does very, very well. I'm going to simplify it for him, and yeah. I'm going to make him 
NFL ready so that he can go out and play. Let me interrupt for just a second. We're, we're getting a lot of backup noise again. I, I can't tell where it's coming from, but <clears throat> we're getting backup conversation. Go ahead, Mike. But I, I would say, you know, you look at all these teams that are doing well and flourishing with the backups. It makes you wonder, like, what in the world is going on up in New York? If the Bengals can win games with their backup QB, if the Colts can make the playoffs with Gardner Minshew, like why can't the Jets be even remotely successful with Zach Wilson at the quarterback spot? Yeah, so that was the point that was brought up the other day. That's exactly what the point was. You're exactly right. That uh, the, the Jets did not do a good job in um, assessing uh, what could happen if something happened to uh, – yeah, you know, Rogers. to the, uh, the, uh, the storming. Yeah, to uh, Rogers. If anything happened to him, and they didn't even uh, they didn't take that into consideration, and the general well, Rogers, manager, that was a big Sunder point of conversation Rogers. yesterday uh, with the news media. The fact that he uh, Rogers really uh, came out of very very uh, authoritatively talking about how who on the team and the team has to find out who is putting negative things out about. Wilson, whether he wants to play with the team or whether he doesn't, Rogers really came out pretty strongly yesterday on ESPN, uh, saying that uh, they got to correct those problems before they can get anything straightened out. Well, there you go. And I find it, I find it funny that you hear all of this stuff about he doesn't want to play. Rogers comes out and says, you know, you're doing this, you did this. I really love this kid. And basically confirming the fact that he's one of the reasons why Zach Wilson is still there, that he wanted him to be there. He liked No him. question. No he's question. Guy, he's been behind him all the way. And then the next day, Zach Wilson to start the next game. Right. I believe you I, were I, correct. I, I, I mean, I feel like, again, there might have been – if there. If we wanted to find out who has the power within the Jets organization right now, whether it's the front office, whether it's Coach Sala or Aaron Rodgers, I think we just got an immediate real-time reminder of where the power dynamic in that team lies right now, and it's with the, with the quarterback. Yeah, you're, yeah with the, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the signee quarterback, mm-hmm. okay? Who has played you're, less than one right. quarter for your team the whole entire season. That's right. Well, I yeah. think the, the best thing to have to the, to the Jets in the last couple of weeks is the fact that they did lose, and the fact he's not going to try to go out there with that partially torn Achilles tendon and come back for a, in a needless situation and uh, get himself hurt again. So uh, that's been my premise from the very beginning, all the conversation about bringing Rodgers back for the last couple of games of the season because they were going to be in the hunt for a playoff spot was ridiculous. They, they weren't going to be in a spot for a playoff anyway. And to get him hurt, he's got two more years on that contract, and uh, that's an awful lot of money to throw away. They are sitting 15 out of 16 teams in the AFC. Prior to the loss, they were sitting 15 out of 16 teams in the AFC. Right. I, I just I don't see the wisdom of, of saying just because they're not mathematically out does not mean that they're in the playoff hunt. And the game that he was targeting was against the Commanders. But I think right after that, don't they have like um, they have like I think the next game after that is Cleveland, right? So even if he did come back against the Commanders, which might be a relatively soft 
warm-up game for them because the commanders don't generate much in the way of defense or pass rush, especially not without Montez Sweat and Chase Young in the lineup. Against With that line in front of him, how does he think, and a surgically repaired Achilles tendon, how does he think that he can keep himself safe against Miles Garrett and a Cleveland? My, that was uh, my point all along defense. from five weeks back. What, 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 what could you possibly, what could you possibly do uh, that would be a positive factor in uh, getting in, putting him in a situation where he could get hurt in his entire career, whatever's left of it. He's 39 years old. You know, why jeopardize maybe the last year of his, of his playing ability uh, for nothing? Right now, the only thing that they're losing is draft position. That, that, that they would be risking would be draft position, and that would be something to put around him, I don't know, in the form of an offensive lineman or, you know, another skilled position player. But apparently, you know, within, with um, Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, uh, oh, you'd think that they had the type of skilled positions up there that – Skilled players, especially at wide receiver and running back, that you would like. Um, I don't know. That's just a confusing one for me um, in what was going on. But at least that one's settled. Hopefully we don't see Rodgers again this season because it'd just be unnecessary. And then it becomes about him, not what's best for the team. Here well, the one thing, Roger, you're in Atlanta. And you God. probably know more about this, this than I do. But uh, if Atlanta, is, in fact, does win the South, so they're going to get a bye because they're they're, they're going to win their their division, and uh, if that's the case, then that means uh, uh, they're going to have to play the Dallas Cowboys uh, in in the second round because Dallas won't get a bye unless they win. So it's uh, there's a lot of things going on right now in the National Football League that's tough, tough to figure out. Don, only the top team now gets a bye. There's only one bye. Yeah, only the, not, the yeah the first the. The the one the the only one that has the best uh, record in each uh, conference is the only one that gets the buy. That's okay. why the Eagles got it last year. Right. But here I but wanted to is, tell you about the Jets. Uh, they play the Texans this week. Uh, they're at the Dolphins next week, and the Commanders uh, come into uh, uh, MetLife uh, the following week. That's New uh, Christmas Eve. And then the, they play at the Browns on the 28th, and then they play at the Patriots on January 7th. That, that's, the, that's the scoop. Well, they got three the teams in that, schedule, in that schedule you just read off that, you know, they would have a chance of uh, – outside chance, but they would have a chance of beating. But I, well, I that's think it. even Patriots. without Aaron Rodgers, they would have a chance to beat both the Patriots and the um, – and the Commanders. Let's be honest. The Giants beat the Commanders twice. It's the only two wins they've had on the or It's two of the three wins that they've had on the season, uh, or four, that they've had on the season. And they did once in Washington and FedEx Field with Tommy DeVito as their starting quarterback. Um, and that Commanders team that, that I'm just talking about, they actually went into Foxborough and beat the Patriots. Um, those two teams... And I'm here in the Washington, D.C. area, but neither of those two teams are particularly great. And I don't care who's playing quarterback. I think that you can get by either one of them. Um, the Texans, I agree. And, yeah, the Texans, who knows? Um, see, you know, you'd probably favor the Texans regardless 
you know, C.J. Stroud's just – and that team is just playing at a really high level. And the Dolphins are a pretty good team too. So I don't even know with Aaron Rodgers right now if they win in either of those two games. So you're well, talking about you two get games the with, Dolphins and the way Hill's playing right now. <laughs> Holy yeah. smokes. He's in, he's in the league I, by himself. Well, yeah, you got true. two games that you would probably lose no matter who was playing quarterback for you and two games that you should be able to win with – just about anybody playing quarterback for you. Right. And by that point in time, um, by the time you get to Christmas Eve, I'm pretty sure that barring any unforeseen significant changes here in Washington, D.C., they're just going to be playing out the string. Um, They're probably a, a loss or two away from just mailing it in for the rest of the season. It has not been pleasant in this area since they got off to a 2-0 and start. Right. Roger, you were talking about the yards after the catch uh, and, and uh, you know, the records that are being established. I don't know this year where Hill stands, but I'll tell you, he's got an awful lot of yards. I don't know how many other yards after the catch as opposed to just yards in a game for a number of catches, but holy smokes, he just uh, he's in another league. Well, well, he is, and it'll be interesting. Uh, and he may be, have been in that uh, group, Don, uh, you know, uh, between one Homer Jones and, like, 19 Deshaun Watson. And what right. we're talking about, Mike, is there was a great statistic uh, that was uh, thrown out by Bob Papa and Charlie Weiss, mainly uh, Bob Papa, uh, the other day on uh, NFL radio, and that was uh, the all-time leader in yards Per catch is Homer Jones, formerly back in the 60s uh, of the uh, Giants. And uh, it was because of Deshaun Watson's retirement. And uh, and he is, I, I think, ranked uh, like 19th. And his average was uh, 18 yards plus. And Homer Jones was, I believe, 22 yards plus. Yeah, I mean that's 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 an interesting uh, statistic that I never considered until I heard it. You know, uh, when they were talking about it the other day, it's definitely become more of a vote invoke stat because you're looking at like, oh, well, the receiver gets you the ball, then what can you do after it? And right. you know, Tyreek Hill when he gets running and he's at full speed, nobody can catch him. And whether you're, he's running past you with the ball or without it, he had a – I don't know if you saw the catch that he had on a long touchdown throw. Um, Tua basically threw the ball up in the air, and Tyreek Hill kind of like changed his route to go get the ball caught it in mid-stride and ran it in for a long touchdown. It, he, he changed a, a, what looked like a poster route into a corner route. He completely ran almost all the way across the field to get this ball and had time to get it. It's like a, there are points in time now where – And he split two defenders to do it. Vicinity and letting him yeah, he it. did. Yeah. That, it was amazing. two defenders to go right through it. Okay, mm-hmm. Mike, we got to wrap up this segment, but thank you very, very much. Mike, have that. a great week. We'll have a, you have a real good week, week and we'll get together next week. Mike, next I was week. thinking about you when I was driving through Potomac, Maryland on Friday. First time I had ever been in that community. Well, you should have waved high. I'm out there. 
<laughs> a lot of money out there, Mike. A lot of money. Yes, Have sir. a great week. <laughs> you too. Take care. Okay. Doug Hamilton's on the line right now, and uh, we've been talking about those Baltimore Ravens, uh, Doug, and uh, I, I myself uh, agree with, with Mike uh, Simzak. I, I think right now, and I grant you there's still, what, five games to go, I, I think the Ravens are the best team in the division in the AFC. Yeah, it was a it was a great weekend uh, to be a Baltimore Ravens fan. The Ravens had a much needed bye, and uh, we saw the Cleveland Browns lose, and we also saw the Pittsburgh Steelers giggle giggle lose to the Arizona <laughs> Cardinals, which is just that's embarrassing. Um, but it couldn't be any better. Um, you know, I love to I love to watch them lose, especially to a team at home uh, that they that they obviously should have beaten. Um, they're in trouble. They've got. Uh, you know, I think Kenny Pickett had a high ankle sprain. Mitch Trubisky is their quarterback. I mean, their offense looks really bad. Um, so it was a good rate. It was Doug, a good weekend Doug, to be a Raven. How do you really feel about the Steelers? I, I hate them. I really do. I hate them. And, I know. You know, I I tread I tread lightly uh, because. How about Cleveland? Do you like Cleveland better than the Steelers or no? Um, Pittsburgh is is the top of my you know SHIT list. Uh, Cleveland's <laughs> probably just a notch or two lower, but I, there's, there's uh, Steelers fans travel pretty well, and um, and actually, you know, I hate to say it, but the gym I go to, there's a there's a guy. I mean, he's all kinds of Pittsburgh. He's Penn State. He's the he's the the Pirates. He's always wearing, and he's one of my better friends at the gym actually. And we have reasonable conversations when it, he doesn't like Mike Tomlin. Um, you know, just. A lot of the Steelers fans, actually, when you talk to them, are actually normal people. I just hate the Steelers, you know. I mean, it's been a rivalry, uh, great rivalry for for many years here in Baltimore, you know. And and look, everybody has, you know, Duke, Carolina, um, you know, uh, Georgia, Florida, um, Cowboys, Redskins. I mean, there's all kinds of wonderful rivalries out there. But, you know, for me, and the last game of the season this year is against the Steelers. Whether that means something or not, I don't know at this point, but – um, you know, I just, I can't, I, I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> Roger. No, it's obvious, you know, but it's like, got to uh, give Eagles us his real fans. feelings. He can't cover it up. Yeah. He's got to really tell us. Uh, well, uh, I'm a hundred percent. What you see, what you see is what you get with me, buddy. I mean, that's, that's what well, you get. it's like a real Eagles fan. Uh, the way they feel about those, uh, Cowboys, Cowboys. That's, that's it, all. It, I'm telling you. <laughs> Um, those, the, you know, look, passionate fans and then loving their fan base and, and supporting their teams. And all, I love that passion in sports. Um, you know, there's no, there's no, I mean, you look at college football when, uh, they have that actual rivalry week where, you know, USC plays UCLA and Oregon plays Oregon state and, you know, all those games that just bring out the best in those teams and that, you know, bad blood rivalry kind of a concept. And it's, up, it just takes it up a notch. It's it's great for sports, uh, really is. Well, your life is around golf, and of course uh, the PGA Tour. You're a PGA professional, and we talk golf a lot too. But you don't get yeah. that kind of, of uh, uh, competition. You get one against another. We might get it now with McElroy <laughs> this year, but uh, you know, you don't normally uh, you know get too much head-to-head competition where people take it that seriously. Whether uh, they win a tournament or whether they don't win a tournament. Mm-hmm. Whereas in football, well, as you say, you don't, you don't want the you don't want the Steelers to win regardless of what they do. <laughs> yeah, look, the the Ryder Cup I think is the antithesis of you know a lot of that concept where, um, you know, 
you know, pitting uh, United States against Europe and, and creating right. a team concept. I mean, that's that's the World Series to me of, of golf. I love the Ryder Cup and, and all that it stands for in terms of the competition and the, the camaraderie and the team and just all that is just magnificent. Um, so it's the equivalency. But I, I thought for sure, uh, Don, you would, you would – I mean, maybe we haven't gotten there yet, but talk about a little, a little baseball, uh, you know, with some things that are going on. But, you know, also I know you do your homework – um, there was a big announcement from uh, the governing bodies of golf, the, the Royal and Ancient R&A and the, and the USGA with regard to the golf ball. Did you did you hear or read anything about that? I heard that the, uh, you know, Jack Nicholas and uh, several others have talked about for such a long <laughs> period of time that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're, they're tired of everybody hitting the ball 320, 340 yeah. yards. And well, uh, was- so they want – yeah, it Go was ahead. announced today. Yep, it was announced today uh, that the governing bodies both agreed. They they were concerned at one point that bifurcation was going to be uh, imminent. With um, you know the USGA and the and the RNA couldn't really agree on what stance they were going to take because they didn't want to necessarily penalize the amateur golfers, but they wanted to do so with the PGA Tour golfers. Um, so it was announced today that the golf ball rollback actually went through uh, starting in 2028. Um, PGA Tour golf balls will essentially reduce uh, overall yardage. Um, a lot of that's going to be dependent on swing speed. But what you're talking about is probably somewhere between 5 and 10 to 15 maybe yards. And then 2000, I think, 30 is, is when that takes effect for amateur golfers. Um, the, the golf ball will change as well. So. Um, well, Doug, the key to that is the fact that there's nothing they could do with the golf courses anymore. I mean, they've tried yeah. even the Masters; they've moved, you know, holes around and tried to make them bigger or longer or it. But there's no further to go. I mean, you, you have to take the property well, three. Yes and no. I mean, look at the end of the day. Um, you know, if you watched a, an NFL football game and the score like this past weekend, when you watched the Chargers and the Patriots was six to nothing, is that a good game? Did you watch that game? So to me, you know, you're a golfer, Don. I mean, look, do you want to hit the ball further because it makes the game more fun? Hell yeah, you do. I mean, what, I mean, what, what are we doing here? You know, I, just, I, I, I think I totally disagree with um, that stance. I really do. I think that you're going to see people that are going to basically buy as many golf balls as they can until the deadline of when that golf ball changes and continue to hit the golf ball as far as – I mean, that's – I mean, that's, I don't know. I just, I disagree with it. Um, I think the game is more fun when you play well. And I think when you play well, you hit the golf ball further. I mean, who wants to hit fairway woods and, and hybrids and long irons into par fours? I mean, no, nobody who plays the game wants to do that. Now you're going to tell me that people that can't reach greens are going to do So what does that mean? Now we're going to do what? We're going to move up a set of tees. We're going to move up two sets of tees. We're going to, instead of making the golf course longer, we're going to make them shorter. Right? So right. What, are we, what are we accomplishing there? <laughs> Roger. Whatever. Well, the, uh, it's interesting uh, from what I heard is that uh, they're going to do it. Marion and I brought this up, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. Because it sounds like they're uh, tearing the whole course up, Don, on the one course. Yeah, I, I and, talked and, to Frank last week or the week before about getting uh, Merle Reese on with us because Merle's a member. Uh, Marion, the voice of the Philadelphia Eagles for the last forty plus years, and uh, he's joined us many times on the show. Oh, and, sure. Uh, he was he was involved uh, in something. I don't know. Two weeks ago, he was involved in some kind of a banquet or something, and he couldn't participate. But 
Uh, we need to get back to it, but I'll remind Frank again. Uh, maybe we get Merle on next week and talk about what they're doing to Marion because you're right. You were the one that brought it up. Yeah, I did uh, not know that Marion was being week. redressed. Have you heard about that, I, Doug? No, I, I was just going to add that um, there's several pitchers in Major League Baseball that throw the ball too hard, so we're going to make them move backwards. Uh, we're going yeah. to build uh, <laughs> secondary rubber for them to pitch from. So that it's easy. <laughs> well, I, I, um, if you got yeah, six hundred million, you want to you got six hundred million, you want to pass out that. Sure. You know, Tondi uh, in Baltimore. Well, I, I was just going to mention uh, we had the Cleveland Guardians who uh, received the overall number one draft pick. Um, I'm really excited that uh, the Orioles got 22, which is fine based on the record, and they also got 32, uh, I think, based on Gunnar Henderson winning the uh, AL Rookie of the Year. Um, in addition, we, the Rule 5 draft was held today, and I think that Baltimore had selected nobody in the major league portion of that, and they selected um, a pitcher from Colorado's farm system in the AAA portion of that. So not not a lot to report, but they also signed uh, Craig Kimbrell, uh, former Philly, uh, for you, Roger. Uh, hopefully yeah. you can, um, you know, maybe there's still a little Roger, bit of Roger, you can address that. You have, you have an opinion yeah. about Kimbrell right now. Well, yeah, I, I, all I can say is, uh, Doug, that I hope mm-hmm. that they don't use him as much as the Phillies did. And, yeah. and I think that's what wore him down, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when he lost those two games in the playoffs. Sure. Well, and, I mean, look, and, he's, 30, he's 36. He's on yes. probably the back, back end of his career. I mean, his velocity was still uh, a tick above mid-90s, but um, – you know, I think that, that uh, Brandon Hyde is, is going to be um, meticulous about how he uses his bullpen, and it may be a closer by committee because I don't necessarily think Cano is an actual closer, and then you add Kimbrell to that. You've got some other guys in Perez and Coulomb and some different guys, and I don't think they're done. Um, I don't think they're going to make a splash move, but I don't think they're done in terms of adding to um, either pitching or they've been rumored to – to be connected with Dylan Cease. Uh, you know, I don't know where some of these things go, but um, we'll see once we get past the winter meetings and into, you know, the appropriate time for them to make some of these moves. Well, well that picture from that, Colorado uh, that have to keep on the roster uh, as a rule five. Uh, so uh, a, that could be a yeah, really a good a. addition. It's a triple. Yeah, a. But it, I, that, that was the triple. A, yeah. So he'll, he was from there. Uh, I don't know. He was a Dominican pitcher. I think he was probably lower end uh, in terms of the spectrum of uh, classification there. So I mean, I, I don't, I didn't, I don't know who he is or what he brings or offers. But you know, I mean, obviously they picked him, so there's a reason. Uh, they're they're pretty wily. I mean, Anthony Santander was a Rule Five guy. I mean, Tyler Wells was a Rule Five guy. I mean, they love those Rule Five draft picks. Um, they think know, they so can steal something. somebody. Yeah, there must be yeah, something about exactly, it. Exactly, like, Don. Yeah. yeah. But they got well, to keep them on the roster. If, if, They've uh, had pretty you know, good success over the last two true. years of, of developing or, or either drafting or developing players to bring yeah. into the system, and uh, no question about that. I mean, holy smokes, go out yeah. to get a major player now. Yeah. I mean, they're talking about sure. Soda now going over, what, uh, $200 million? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tony going over $600 million. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, yeah. Well, you've got, you've got, 
you've got players from Japan that are being posted that are going to command uh, a decent amount of money. You still have guys uh, on the market, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, Josh Hader's one of them. Um, you know, the Nolan, from Japan, Aaron, he's over. They're talking over two hundred million for him now. Sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you know, I mean, it's it's a joke what they're what they're spending. I mean, if you're telling me that the Dodgers can afford Otani. Come on, there's something really, really wrong with the system of baseball if you can add a guy like that and spend that kind of money. There's there's really something wrong with it. It really is. The thing you know, is and that makes me... down on ESPN today, which I thought was really interesting, uh, that uh, in the last six years they've, they've, they've not made the playoffs at all. In fact, the last eight years they have not made the playoffs at Los Angeles. But more mm-hmm. importantly, the last six years, they haven't even had a better than 500 record. So, I mean... <laughs> You know, and I, so what are you going to do? Somebody else is going to go out, and unless you have all the other ingredients, and mm-hmm. then you then you sign Otani, oh, I'll go along with it. But if you're going to, right. if he's going to go to Toronto, does, does right. Toronto have all the other ingredients already in, under contract that are going to make them no. a pennant-winning, playoff-winning, World Series-winning team by spending six hundred million on one player who can't pitch? Splash- can only- sure, that's the key. He can't pitch this year. It's a splash move. I mean, it's. Look, man, we're, we're, we're talking about what puts uh, butts in seats. That's what we're really talking about here. I mean, I know that these teams are trying to win, but at the end of the day, all this stuff we're talking Don, about. Frank says we're on the, we're on the road. Kick time. Thank you. Doug, Have a great thank week, you very, Doug. very much. Roger, always great. We'll get together later. You Take can. care. Bye. Okay. You Have a it. great week. God bless. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces. Men and women, police and fire services, the doctors and nurses, and first line uh, responders to the service. These programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Jeffrey Patrolman Jeffrey Polkap, <clears throat> yeah, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. <clears throat> Patrolman Charlie Condit, Harpeth Springs Police Department. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Crystal Bake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Anahako Crispin, Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police Department. Patrol <clears throat> Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogle, Lombok Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane. Deputy Chris Meyer, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Sergeant Chris Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant uh, Robert Ramirez, Philadelphia Police Department. My brothers and sisters, I am time. Sometime will be 10:10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields, and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hollow of His hands. Good night. God bless and have a great day.
Good evening, Bob. We love you and we miss you.